Welcome to the Swim Swam podcast. Joining me is Coleman Hodges, the man on the scene, Swim Swam's head of production. And also joining us today is probably the most versatile swimmer in swimming, the man who has touched all points of history in our sport, NCAA champion, world champion, Olympic champion, Davis Tarwater. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me, guys. USA Swimming board member. Um, how long are you going to be on the board? Uh, I'll, uh, my term ends uh, this September. Uh, I've been on the board since 2016. It's been an interesting experience. Obviously, there's been some notable changes, but uh, more than anything, it's just been great to be able to get back to the sport. Is, is that something that you, you want to continue? Do you, want to, do you always want to be involved at the governing body level? You know, I'd love to, um, uh, not maybe at the governing body level. I think that uh, I've been a part of some really important, meaningful, uh, good transition. Um, but uh, I'm, I'm looking to kind of uh, move on in the way it's structured now. It's, I think, um, really important to have some athletes on there that are maybe just a little bit closer to uh, their own um, athletic career and those experiences. So um, we'll see kind of who comes out of the new nomination process, but I'm really hopeful uh, for uh, the future. And I um, obviously you know, have so much respect for the athletes I've served with, Maya Dorado and Natalie Coughlin. They're just such unbelievable standard bearers for our sport. and uh, They've just done a great job. So um, probably time to uh, let, some, let some new people have, uh, have their shot at it. Well, let's, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm... I hope that you continue at a leadership level. I think that we need you, but I want to go back to, uh, we're going to explain, I'm going to explain to everybody why that's the case. Uh, there's digging into your background. I am so sorry. I didn't know this, but it's, uh, going back to the very beginning. I didn't know that you suffered from epilepsy when you were a kid. Yeah. And, uh, how, 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 was that something that you were, were sensitive to aware of and how long did it, did it go on? Yeah, you know, that's, um, I'm glad you bring that up because, um, you know, that was one part of my story that was um, at times somewhat difficult to talk about. Um, and uh, I had um, uh, my first seizure, I believe, when I was um, eight or nine and was hospitalized for a period of time. And then um, the second um, seizure that I had actually uh, happened on, on the pool deck in um, Nashville at the Tracy Calkins pool when I was at an age group meet there. And, um, you know, there was uh, a period of time where, you know, I think that uh, my parents were pretty concerned about, you know, putting me back in the water and, um, you know, I had to be monitored and, you know, thankfully I, I didn't have, an, have a, an event in the water, but, you know, I think that, um, just having that experience and having it be a public thing and um, being so young, I think it sort of um, it, it created, um, you know, e even looking back at being 10, as much as you can remember being 10, that's two and a half decades ago. Um, yeah, I think it really um, drove in some intensity and toughness that only adversity can. And um, I, I really remember that shift at even a really young age. 
my mom uh, suffered from epilepsy and I witnessed some, some moments that were extremely frightening. I can't imagine being in a, in a, in a, in a pool in a water environment and that being something that can happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, uh, you know, what's interesting though about people who suffer from this is like you look out, look back through history and a lot of our greatest leaders and a lot of people who shifted all of humanity um, suffered from this. And it's, uh, I don't know if that was ever told to you or shared with you. Did anyone tell you that? You know, I tried to have positive role models um, and my, you know, my parents did, um, you know, give me some examples of people that, you know, had suffered from that and, you know, going, uh, you know, kind of how it was explained to me is that, you know, there's, um, there's a high percentage of um, people who have the, uh, have epilepsy that it resolves itself at puberty and um, there's a percentage that doesn't. And um, fortunately, I was in the group of people that um, it did resolve itself. And you know, so at about 14 or so, um, began to have normalized um, EGs, and then I uh, was able to um, wean off my uh, medication. And, um, you know, by the grace of God, haven't had a seizure um, since, you know, my early um, I guess it wouldn't be teenage years, but 11, 10 or 11. What, um, what's interesting about you is, is that, and I, and I, and I, I, I didn't know that, but I, I, and I, but I had a, a, a passing understanding of your family history. I know you came from a great family. Um, your dad's an attorney, well-respected attorney. And, um, and I knew about your, uh, was it Richard Flower Sr., the, uh, the attorney general. I knew that you had some somebody with political power in your history in the South. So it was the attorney general of Alabama. And I knew it. So his son, I, and I heard this from a mutual friend, Don Bosch, who's an attorney and a big supporter of, of, of swimming uh, nationally, but also in, in the Tennessee area. But um, he had told me about uh, Richard Flowers Jr., who was a world champion in the 110 meter hurdles. And I understand that in, in many ways he was, uh, was a mentor to you were you close to him at a very young age or did that, or did the relationship develop as you became an elite athlete? Uh, no, no, he's been a part of my life for a long time. And, um, so my, my grandfather, Richmond was the attorney general, as you say, of the state of Alabama. And that was at a time where, um, the civil rights movement was, um, you know, at its sort of most intense point in the state of Alabama. And, um, Actually, um, my grandfather went to law school with uh, George Wallace, who at that time was the governor. And um, my um, grandfather was a um, civil rights hero. I would consider him to be a civil rights hero. And, um, you know, he opposed the, um, the governor's, when the governor opposed integration of schools, um, my grandfather was uh, very um, influential in upholding the law of the land, which was the integration of the school system. And um, as a result of that, um, received a lot of um, you know really negative, violent um, sort of uh, blowback from that. And you know, crosses were burned in the front yard. And um, it's uh, you know when in, uh, it came time you know to go through 
you know, the recruiting process. And, you know, Bear Bryant was recruiting my uncle to play football at Alabama and run track. You know, I think those were some interesting considerations. And I think, you know, without putting words in his mouth, the contributing factors to, you know, maybe why he and his brother and, and ultimately my late mother ended up at the University of Tennessee. Um, and um, he was a standout football player for Tennessee, but his, his real love was track and field. And he was um, one of the best hurdlers, if not the best hurdler in the world, um, leading into the, um, I guess, sort of in the Mexico City um, Olympic Games and those trials. And he um, pulled his hamstring um, right before the trials and ended up fourth which was um, one spot out of uh, making the team in track. And, you know, I believe even in swimming at that time, um, you know, three people made the team, three individual individuals made the team. And that really, um, that really uh, impacted him. Yeah, it was a devastating blow. And so he um, ultimately had a, um, a nice career in the NFL, um, won a, a Super Bowl with the Cowboys, I believe it was. And, um, but, you know, track was his love. The Olympic movement was more um, of his love than um, collegiate or professional football. And so um, having someone that shared that love for the Olympic movement and, you know, had been through a trials and, and that kind of thing it was something that, um, you know, that, that was, you know, unique experience that, you know, I was really fortunate to have. It's uh, you have this long story journey in swimming and a lot of people probably don't know this about you because you became uh, really royalty on deck for years and years and years. And, uh, and it, it was a bit, it was basically royalty, you know. in my world, you're royalty. <laughs> yeah, maybe like the court jester. <laughs> I wouldn't put it that way. Uh, I have, I have very, very, um, clear cut opinions about your swimming career. And, I, and, I, and I'll preface it by saying this. Um, I think that you were, you're an athlete who, yes, you achieved the Olympic medal, world championship, NC2A title, but you're always right there on the cusp of breaking out and being um, somebody who won multiple medals and, uh, and, and could be a factor across a lot of different events. And I think that, um, my personal opinion in, in the aftermath is like, hey, you're, once you're a gold medalist, you're a gold medalist for the rest of your life. But if you want to dig into the nitty gritty, it's uh, you probably had some some personal hurdles. You, I think that sometimes when someone's a really smart person, they can overthink things. I think mm -hmm. sometimes they come to realize their talent, and even though they've had this long story journey in the sport, they they you you, you sort of go through that shoot probably a year or two too late, and uh, and I'll get to that. The, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's, let's, let's go back to childhood. You were a distance freestyler. You were a hardcore distance freestyler to, to really put a, you know, to, to dot the I's and cross the T's. Uh, you're a peer of Michael Phelps. And when you went to junior national championships, you beat him. And, uh, so <laughs> it's, a, that's right. So what's, uh, so what was the, so what was, what was your life like? Were you, were you doing, you know, hard, hard training throughout your age group and formative years? Uh, what, what would it look like at that time? 
Uh, yeah, so I, I uh, grew up in Knoxville, Tennessee, swam for Pilot Aquatic Club, which is now Tennessee Aquatics, and um, my club coach uh, was a guy named Gardner Howland, who was um, you know, a really well-respected coach. He's actually back in Knoxville, which is great to have him. He's a great friend of mine, and um, I, I would say that he um, you know, took a, a pretty reasonable and moderated approach to things. I wouldn't say that my um, training uh, you know, in my high school years was, you know, on the, you know, you hear some, some really, you know, crazy anecdotes about, you know, stuff that distance swimmers did. And I, you know, I would say it was, it was a very, um, it was a very solid approach and, um, uh, you know, kind of as I grew and got, you know, more physically developed, um, that, um, uh, trajectory in terms of my, you know, my events sort of sort of moving from the 1500, you know, kind of down to the 800, the 400, the 200, and then butterflies. But, um, you know, I, I think he, he told me um, a, a stat that I either didn't know or didn't remember. But when I was 16, I was in the top 16 rankings in every event 50 through the mile. And, um, you know, so it wasn't, uh, wasn't like I didn't have the ability to get up and, you know, do some some quicker things, but, you know, I do think that that rooting as a distance swimmer sustained me throughout my entire career. It was just, I never thought of myself. I always kind of had that, um, that mentality, that hard hat mentality of, you know, you got to do the work. And I think it was, you know, something that, you know, was really beneficial for me. It's uh, to, to let our audience know, I lived it. So I was at the University of Tennessee and we have a lot of mutual friends, including your coach and including a, per, a mutual friend, uh, Don Bosch, who's a supporter of the teams in the area. But uh, I sort of lived in the oxygen of Davis Tarwater and your development. So I was constantly getting updates from everyone. It's like, Davis did this, Davis did that. And, uh, and, and enjoyed that, that process. But most, most of what I heard in terms of feedback was that um, you're a hammer. Like there, anything that's thrown at you, you take it and you spit it back out and you do more than what people anticipated. And you had this work, was worth it, work ethic that, um, that netted you success early on with like what you talked about. Top 16, 50 to the 1500. By the time, you know, you went to Olympic trials four times, 2000, 2004, 2008, 2012. Mm. You had great success 2000 to 2004. You were already among the, the top athletes in the world. Where, 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 where was your mindset, you know, from, from 2000 to 2004? Uh, well, um, you know, first, you know, being in the, the oxygen of Davis-Tarwater, I think it's important to, to note that, um, you know, growing up, I was in the, I was inspired by watching your journey and, you know, 92 and, you know, I had a poster of you in my room and, uh, you know, I remember being up at the pool and seeing you, you know, working out and, uh, I even wrote you, I think like a get well card when you like, you know, got some kind of injury or something. I remember, you know, doing that and, you know, so it's, it's, um, I say that not to just be like, you know, let's have a 10 minute session where we tell each other how much we like each other, but um, more so than uh, <laughs> to say, you know, I think it's, uh, you can never underestimate who you're going to inspire and, you know, what the, um, what's the benefit of being able to be um, tangential to 
uh, greatness is to elite athletes. And, you know, to be able to, it's one thing to read about it or to, to, to click on swim slam, but it's another thing to see it, to see it firsthand and see what that preparation looks like and see what it means to come in every day and be a professional. And, you know, that was something that was, that was important to me. And so to, you know, to kind of answer your question is I, um, I graduated from high school in 2002 and, um, we had started, um, uh, kind of my, I was always a, a good butterflyer, but I had some, some sort of technical things that I was kind of trying to work out and kind of really came together my senior year in high school. Um, instead of swimming the 200 free at our high school state meet, I swam the 100 fly and was, um, I think 48.0 and, um, was one of the top, um, at that time, the only guy that went faster was a guy named Michael Kavik who ended up having a pretty good career. And, uh, um, kind of when I got to Michigan, uh, really began to explore that. And um, that was a period of time where Tom Malchow, the defending uh, Olympic gold medalist and world record holder, um, was um, training for his, I guess it would have been his third Olympiad. And he was kind of a little older and he was, um, you know, maybe 26 or so, 27 when he, when he made that team. And, um, you know, we just kind of became training partners and I, I learned a lot from him and um, the um, the time drops started coming really, really fast, especially in a long course 200 fly. Um, just, you know, back when, you know, going 157 was good, you know, now it's like, you know, woo, woohoo, you know, <laughs> but uh, I, um, you know, kind of went into the 2004 trials with not a, a ton of expectations 20 years old um and really kind of new not necessarily new to the event but new to some semblance of mastery of it it was what's interesting as i said before you you were at the epicenter of swim history training with tom malchow uh coached by john urbanchek then uh and and you're and then of course bowman comes in and takes over and then suddenly your training partner you go from malchow to michael phelps um and yes, there were there was a period of time where you were you were popping 157s, 200 fly, but you came to 200 fly late. And uh, a lot of people who have great success do it for a long, long time, and they can't get through that shoot and make big drops. But you started making big drops. Um, it's hard to go from 157 to 154. And uh, I think that I, so I'm gonna I've, I've been, it's a big buildup, but I'll say this: you got down to 141, 200 fly. My personal opinion is, if you had started your focus on 200 fly earlier, probably when you were supposed to, I think you'd have gone to 139. I think you had that, obviously had that in you, and it's uh, but it's like it just wasn't in the consciousness of what was of swimming at the time, but. Uh, so I, I'd like to know what, you know, what, what was the, the shift from Urbanchek to Bob Bowman and to being, were you in the lane with Phelps? Yeah. So, um, uh, as you mentioned, um, Bob took over, um, the, the fall of 2004, uh, and you know, that's when Michael came and, you know, at that point we had still a really great, um, you know, uh, core there. We had uh, Cleet Keller, we had um, Peter Vanderkay, um, Christy Young. Uh, you know, we, we had some, you know, really 
really solid guys. And obviously, you know, Michael steps that up and is the greatest ever. So um, I think um, the, the transition was, you know, in terms of, of training, pretty, pretty smooth. I think they had a lot of uh, similar um, ideas about, you know, how to roll a training plan out. And um, John was still, um, he was still around. He was still, you know, on deck and, and um, helpful to some extent. Um, not as, he wasn't on deck as much as he, you know, was, but, um, you know, I think uh, Bob, you know, did, did some things uh, differently in terms of, you know, just power and, you know, his idea was, on the sport were, you know, a little bit different than, than John's. And I, I don't, I don't, I don't want to speak for, for that. I, yeah, but um, I think that um, uh, a lot of the um, <clears throat> development from 2004 to 2008 really happened in the two years that I was a pro from 2006 to 2008. And, you know, just little bit more mature, a little bit more physically mature and, and, um, you know, ha having the ability to kind of focus, uh, you know, on training in a more professional way. So let's, let's, let's get right to it. What suit did you wear in 2008 at trials? I wore the, um, the speedo, um, laser, uh, laser, uh, just the legs only. Yeah, and at the time, swimmers were, you know, the rubberized flotation suits were taken off. Uh, Laser Racer had still had some permeation panels, and uh, you weren't wearing full body, probably, I'm guessing, because you didn't like the way it affected your reach. Is that correct? What, what was the, what, why did you only go legs? Yeah, that, that, was, that was a lot of it. I, you know, I think when we look back on those, those two years of the sport, um, they came on so quickly, you know, the, the new technology came on so quickly that it was really difficult to acclimate to it in a short period of time. Um, and I just don't think we knew, you know, as much as, as maybe we know now in, in terms of, um, you know, how that, you know, what the different materials were, what the different flotations were. And, and, you know, a, a lot of it had to do with just individual body types and how you fit in those suits. And I mean, I remember going to the 2009 World Championships, World Championship Trials, and having like four different suits in my bag. You know, and trying to figure out, what, you know, which one went with which event. And um, so, yeah, I mean, at the time, I felt like it was really hard for me to, you know, feel that extension on the front part of my stroke. You know, with the the that you know whatever the the, the chest piece and it was just I I got more comfortable with it and you had to adapt but you know at that time we just hadn't been hadn't been out long enough let's 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 just get right to it I mean you you were 154 and I remember seeing you on deck in 2008 thinking oh my god I mean I was so proud I was like oh my god 154 heading into the finals and um uh you got nudged Phelps won. Stovall was uh, in a full body suit, blue 70, and he, and he edged you. And uh, that was a, that was probably the, the toughest third place finish that I had ever experienced where it wasn't my race. Cause I got third in 96 trials, but it, I, and I understand the feeling of that, but like seeing you do it, it was triggering. It was like, Oh my God, that was so painful. It's uh, 
that happened to you, you actually thought about stopping swimming after that event with more races left in, in, uh, in uh, trials. Is that correct? Uh, you know, I really don't think that that crossed my mind. You know, I, I came out and, and had a pretty good hunter fly. The hunter fly was, was what I had left. And, you know, I, um, I've got a ton of respect for Gil and I would never, I would never say that, you know, the, the suit had anything to do with it. I was, I was beaten by a better athlete on a day that had a better swim and, you know, he deserved to be there. And he's like, he's from, he's from Tennessee. We've raced each other. We had raced each other our whole lives and he had, he had a really great year and he had a really great swim. And, um, you know, I, I'm out there, there was a, there was a place where as devastating as it was for me, I was, I was able to lucidly see through the fact that like he got up and got the job done and, you know, hats off to him, happy for him. And, um, um, so, you know, it just, I wanted to finish the meet, um, but, you know, realistically thinking of, you know, Phelps and Crocker and the, and the hundred fly and being where I was in, in the hundred fly at that point, it was just knew knew I was going to have a little bit of a <laughs> uphill battle. Well, let's, let's, this is bottom line. Uh, nothing against Gil Stovall. We love Gil Stovall. He was the NC2A champion, became the NC2A record holder, and he had a great trial swim. He did wear a full body suit, blue 70, and you wore legs. Uh, both, everyone swam fast. That's an extraordinary time. Uh, we've got about 10 minutes left. I just want to get into this. So 2008 to 2012, did, did, I thought that you considered retiring for a period of time after 2008. Yeah, well, I did. So I, I considered retiring, um, you know, right after the, um, right after the trials and, you know, kind of got some, some thoughts about it. And, you know, I remember, uh, reaching out to Eric Wonderlick, who um, was a Michigan guy and um, 96 Olympian and him just saying, you know, look, you know, right now, take some time to do the things that you want to do. Like, you know, figure out like, you know, who you are and, and just clear your head, like go on a trip, do some stuff. And I remember my family went to Costa Rica. That was something I always wanted to do. And that was a, you know, a blessing. And um, uh, I, I, um, decided to kind of come back that year I had a little bit of time left on um, um, my speedo contract which you know looking back on you know I probably could have uh, you know done without that <laughs> remaining amount but you know I kind of um, was living in Knoxville living at home and just thought you know I think that there's um, there's a little more in the tank here and so I was applying to grad schools um, and ultimately got in overseas at the University of Oxford. And so that kind of put um, a terminal date on my swimming career. And so I um, came to Matt Kredich, who was the uh, head coach of the Lady Vol swim team at the time, and uh, only the women, and just said, hey, look, do you have a volunteer assistant position open? You know, I'd like to... Um, I like to just do things differently. I'd like to explore the freestyles. I'd like to just kind of gut everything. I, I just, I just want to relearn and I just want to, you know, I just want to have, you know, get in the film room. I want to do things differently and I want to you know, try a different um, training 
you know, strategy approach. And so for that whole year, uh, Keenan Robinson, um, who was still at Michigan at the time, is now the, um, uh, I guess he's the high performance director at, at uh, USA Swimming, um, helped, you know, install a new um, weight training plan. I put on a lot of weight and um, relearned how to swim freestyle. Um, and it took a little while and um, ultimately went to the 2009 World Championship Trials and um, had a enormous drop in the 200 free um, down to 146 low. Um, then went to the World uh, Championships in Rome in 2009, which was just like a total circus. This has been well documented with, you know, all the world records got shattered. Um, and then uh, yeah, did for you know, all intents and purposes, walk away and move to England and um, actually <laughs> um, swam a little bit there uh, as a part of their college team. Their rules are a little bit different. And uh, I did win their uh, version of uh, NCAAs uh, on a couple uh, <laughs> a couple days a week of training and the 100 back of all things. So um, the um, that experience was great, but, you know, I didn't I mainly did that just because I wanted to be known as an Oxford blue and get a cool jacket and uh, be a part of the, uh, the gentleman's dinner. We just pulled out for a second. He's frozen on you know, his I'm, side. I'm, uh, there you go. There you're back. Yeah. So now that's cool. You did, you dropped out for a second, but that's all right. The, um, so we've, we've got about eight minutes left and we want to, we want to get into 2012, 2012 Olympic trials was, one of the most dramatic experiences that I've ever had as a fan. And uh, so can, can you take us through, uh, can, can you sum it up, you know, th your experience there to, 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 to the last event, to the, to, to the four by two free. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, when I, when I came back to school and talked to Credage, we decided that, made the most sense for me to go train with David Marsh um, in the, um, sort of a, that high performance group. And it was a great group. We ended up putting five people on the Olympic team. And, um, you know, David really helped me, um, you know, kind of relearn some things, you know, develop some speed. And that was a great experience. He's a great coach. And so when we went to uh, trials, um, we, um, we actually didn't, know what we were going to swim and um so the day before the 200 free i hadn't had a great 200 free in in a while and so the day before i said hey should we scratch this because it conflicts with the 200 fly um it's they're 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 on the same they're not the the finals for the 200 free would have been the semis for the 200 fly and so it's just made for a really heavy workload and um so i um he said no just you know go out in prelims go out hard you know, see what, see what comes of it. And so went, went through prelims, went through semis, um, and then, you know, qualified seventh for, uh, the finals and then, um, um, ended up getting seventh by a 10th. And so, um, that was devastating. Um, was I think fourth in the 200 fly, uh, the next night. And then, um, you know, actually had a, little bit higher hopes in the hundred fly just because I was better at it this time around and ended up fourth again. And so I just kind of said, you know, Hey, um, it's probably, uh, 
I'm I'm not gonna you know hang around for the mile and watch uh, you know the team get put on. It's such a different mindset in 2012 and 2008, and just said you know it just felt differently. It was disappointing, but there was nothing I could have done differently in my opinion. I had done I'd done the work. I had you know gutted my training plan and my my strokes, my approach, and had a different view of myself and how I fit within the world and within the swimming community and just said, this has been great. Thanks. On to the next thing. And, uh, flew home the next morning. Um, then Marsh called me and said, Hey man, your, uh, um, you know, Phelps is Phelps has dropped out of the, um, you know, the, the 200 free. We don't know what that means. Hang tight. And then ended up calling me 20 minutes later. And I just still remember, you know, I'm saying Davis, you're an Olympian. Come on back got back on the next flight to Omaha and that was a really cool experience. And went on and became an Olympic champion. Probably one of the, one of the most dramatic stories in swimming. And it's, uh, what's interesting is that your trials, your, your, your entire trials lineup was one of the most dramatic because it wasn't that you were getting fourth and fourth and you were just, you were right on the bubble. It's that you had, after training with Marsh, you had so much speed and so much easy speed. It's like you were out and after it, and, uh, and then it looked like you were just hanging on at the end. It, like, it looked like you had enormous easy speed, and then it was, uh, you didn't have maybe that 15 meters at the, at the, at the end. Did it feel that way? Well, what, yeah, that, that's, that's interesting. What it, what it felt like was I'd never, I had never felt that kind of speed before ever. And I didn't know how to handle it, I think. Um, and I didn't know how to kind of periodize the, the race. And I think one of the swims that I'm most proud of is one that nobody um, except for the Olympic team ever saw. But um, training camp, oddly enough, full circle was in Knoxville. And um, there were tons of people just lined up around the block to come in. And so I had a time trial, a hundred free. I didn't swim the hundred meter free at, at uh, trials. And Marsh was like, we're going to come in this morning. We're going to have a hundred free um, time trial. Just going to put you on the blocks. We're going to put the touch pad in. And um, because it was my hometown, I stayed till the end of the line because it was just so important that, you know, I recognize this community's support of me. And so we moved the time trial um, to that evening. Um, and so I warmed up, um, put my suit on, still, you know, unshaved. And on the, on the clock was 48.78 in the 100 meter free. Um, and, you know, I think some people were looking around like, you know, is, is that, is that going to play, you know, <laughs> like, um, but, you know, it was just sort of a testament to the fact that there was like a lot of speed in there. I didn't even know what to do with. And, you know, it just came on kind of so fast that. Are you there? Yeah, I'm here. That's all right. We lost a little bit of connection. So you had crazy speed. We're down to two minutes left. I just want to note this. It's um, 
it, do you have any advice in 60 seconds for anyone who's going through this Olympic journey and they've always been on the cusp, they've been on the bubble and they've had a similar experience? What is the takeaway wisdom from Davis Tarwater, the man who made it to the end and won gold? You know, I would just say, you know, all your perceived failures are avenues for information and never stop learning, never stop growing, never stop tweaking, never stop being, you know, courageous and, and dialed in and intuitive enough to, to, to take information that you're given and respond to it in a positive way. It's not just about coming in and doing the same things and working out over and over again. Like to, to get over that hump requires doing something differently and taking a chance. And a lot of times when you get to that high level, it's really hard to say, okay, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna tweak this. I'm gonna do something differently because there's always a risk. And um, what I found is that if it's underpinned by just a belief and a confidence and you know your your ability and your coaching of your coaches around you and you know information um, most often it um, yields success Hey, do you love swim swim as much as I do? Do you want hours of endless practice footage, race video, and a guide to the best pancakeries in the country? Then subscribe to our YouTube channel below and follow us on social media at Swim Swam News on Twitter and Instagram. If we get a million followers, I might just eat a million pancakes. Only one way to find out.